You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. As Scotland Yard detectives were in the middle of investigating a pair of grisly murders in the Whitechapel neighborhood of London in the dying days of summer 1888, the Central News Agency of London suddenly received a chilling letter written with red ink in a neat, slanted script. Addressing the letter, Dear Boss, its author claimed that he was the man the police were looking for. He mocked the investigators, described his violent hatred for prostitutes like the two that had been murdered, and promised to kill again. The two gruesome murders being investigated were of Mary Ann Nichols, whose body had been found on August 31st, and Annie Chapman, who was discovered on September 8th. Both women had been poor, both had turned to sex work to get by, and both had been horrendously mutilated by their killer. Police determined that Nichols' killer had slashed her throat, cut open her abdomen, and stabbed her in the genitals. Chapman's mutilation was worse. Her killer had cut her throat, sliced open her stomach, and ripped out her intestines. She was also missing her uterus, as well as sections of her bladder and vagina. Even in an area like London's seedy Whitechapel neighborhood, detectives had never seen murders quite like this before. Then came the letter. Unrepentant, proud, and downright amused by his crimes, its author raved, quote, I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again." Unquote. He promised to clip the lady's ears off of a future victim and send them to the police the next time he played out one of his, quote, funny little games. And finally, the letter's author gave himself a nickname, one that has lived on in infamy ever since, Jack the Ripper. The police initially put the letter aside, dismissing it as one of the many hoax letters that they'd received as the public went into a frenzy about the murders of Nichols and Chapman. But then another woman, Catherine Eddowes, was found dead, and she was missing part of her ear. Over the next six episodes, we'll dive into the story of Jack the Ripper, the serial killer who haunted the Whitechapel neighborhood of London in 1888, and the imaginations of true crime enthusiasts around the world ever since. We'll explore the haunting stories of the five women, Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Catherine Eddowes, Elizabeth Stride, and Mary Jane Kelly, known to be his victims. Though, it's possible that he killed even more. Finally, we'll try to untangle the chilling mystery of who Jack the Ripper actually was. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the world and the world past. I'm All That's Interesting staff writer Austin Harvey. And I'm All That's Interesting staff writer Kalina Fraga. And you're listening to the first episode of our special series on Jack the Ripper, history's most infamous serial killer. I actually tried recording an episode about Jack the Ripper and some of the weird theories from my podcast I do with my friend where we talk about conspiracy theories, mm. only for me to to get through the entire thing, realize that 
the program I was using had stopped recording. Oh no! Around ten minutes in. Ugh, the worst. And I just, I just lost everything. I was like, that sucks. Huh. So here's hoping that doesn't happen. Yes, but you must have like today. a wealth of Jack the Ripper knowledge then deep in your. Conscious. I think I repressed it. Oh. I think, like, <laughs> it's too upsetting. <laughs> yeah, I was like, so yeah, this was really triggering for me to come back into this. <laughs> so just a moment of silence yes, for yes. my sanity in the comments. Mm. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I think if we're going to be doing, what, six episodes on Jack the Ripper to break it down for everyone listening, the way we've divided this up is talking about all five of his canonical victims in the first five episodes here. And then sixth episode, talking about all of the various theories about who he was. And there's kind of generally discussing like the legacy and impact, mm -hmm. why this story is still so fascinating to people. But before we get into all that, I think maybe we should just give a little bit of a background, cursory knowledge overview of who Jack the Ripper was. I think, again, I think most people are relatively aware of the name. Jack the Ripper, but to be more specific, uh, Jack the Ripper was an unnamed, unknown, unidentified serial killer active in the late 1880s, specifically autumn's late summer autumn 1888. Uh, obviously still unidentified to this day. There are five what we consider canonical victims, uh, meaning five that we are fairly certain mm -hmm. are attributed to the same person. There might be more but these are the five that generally experts, historians, everybody agrees on. They are Marion Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. Uh, the Ripper's victims were all assumed to be prostitutes. There is little evidence to suggest that three of them actually were. Uh, in reality, those three had just been sleeping on the streets, unable to afford lodging. But police at the time didn't want to accept that as an explanation and insisted the Ripper had lured all of the women under the guise of buying their services. Uh, despite that, no evidence to say that Jack the Ripper actually had sex with any of his victims before murdering them. Seems he was just interested in the murder part. Mm, one of those. Yeah, one of those. One of those sick freaks. <laughs> <laughs> Based on the way the victims were killed, police also assumed the Ripper had at least some level of anatomical or surgical knowledge. Each of the victims was mutilated and disemboweled to different degrees based on basically how much time he had to do it, it seems. At the time, the murders were a media sensation. Scotland Yard and various papers received dozens of letters from people all claiming to be Jack the Ripper, the name of which, uh, the name Jack the Ripper, originated from a letter disseminated by the press now known as the, quote, Dear Boss Letter. And then there was another letter that came with half of a preserved human kidney that was called the From Hell letter. And they believed that the kidney came from one of the victims. These letters were uh, littered with typos, mm -hmm. misspellings, and very braggadocious. The Dear Boss letter was written in red ink, and it was two pages long. Uh, I do have the text of it here. Dear Boss. I keep on hearing the police have caught me, but they won't fix me just yet. I have laughed when they look so clever and talk about being on the right track. That joke about leather apron gave me real fits. I am down on whores and I shan't quit ripping them till I do get buckled. Grand work the last job was. I gave the lady no time to squeal. How can they catch me now? I love my work and want to start again. You will soon hear of me with my funny little games. I saved some of the proper red stuff in a ginger beer bottle over the last job to write with, but it went thick like glue and I can't use it. Red ink is fit enough, I hope. Ha, ha. 
The next job I do, I shall clip the lady's ears off and send the police officers just for jolly. Wouldn't you keep this letter back till I do a bit more work? Then give it out straight. My knife's so nice and sharp. I want to get to work right away if I get a chance. Good luck. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. Don't mind me giving the trade name. P.S. Wasn't good enough to post this before I got all the red ink off my hands. Curse it. No luck yet. They say I'm a doctor now. Haha. <laughs> Cool. That's our little um, just general overview on who Jack the Ripper is. And we'll obviously get more into it as we move along. Mm -hmm. But just to give the general setup of what we're dealing with here. But now we're going to go in and talk about his first canonical victim, uh, Marianne Nichols. Marianne Nichols was born on August 23rd, 1845 in London, Soho neighborhood. Her maiden name was Walker. She was the second of three children born to Caroline and Edward Walker, who uh, were a laundress and locksmith, respectively. When she was 18 years old, she married a printer's machinist named William Nichols. They were officially wed January 16, 1864 at St. Bride's Parish Church in London. Together, they had five children, Edward, John, Percy, George, Alice, Esther, Eliza, Sarah, and Henry Alfred. Then in September 1880, the couple moved into their home on Stamford Street, and separated shortly after. Edward Walker would then accuse William of leaving his daughter because he was having an affair. William uh, would later claim the opposite, that their marital troubles were due to his wife's heavy drinking and that he only began his affair after she had already left him. Hmm. So kind of a recurring theme here, troubled home life that puts a woman out on the streets. Not exactly a great time for women. No, especially not in this part of London. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dangerous parts of London. Um, less so Soho, more so Whitechapel, which mm -hmm. is where all of this takes place. And things didn't get better for Marianne Nichols. She was arrested a number of times in the years that followed, mostly on minor charges for drunkenness, disorderly conduct, and then eventually prostitution. But despite their separation, William was required by law to support her financially. From 1881 to the spring of 1882, he paid her a weekly allowance of five shillings. And then once he discovered that she was working as a prostitute, he stopped sending her money. And the courts ruled that because she was making money illegally on the side, he was no longer required to support her. Hmm. Uh, she never really found, I, I mean, she basically used all of that money for drinking. She didn't settle down, definitely didn't own property or anything like that. She drifted about. She would spend time at lodging houses, uh, specifically the Lambeth Workhouse. She described herself as a charwoman, basically a for-hire maid, but really she worked as a prostitute, drank, floated around. Not a good life. Hmm. Not very stable. In April of 1888, Lambeth Workhouse's matron found Nichols a new job working as a domestic servant for a couple in Wandsworth, which seems like it might have been a good opportunity. She wrote a letter to her father telling him, I just write to say you will be glad to know that I am settled in my new place and going on all right up to now. Uh, my people went out yesterday and have not returned, so I am in charge. It's a grand place inside with trees and gardens back and front. All has been newly done up. They are teetotalers and religious, so I ought to get on. <laughs> they are very nice people and I have not too much to do. I hope you're all right and the boy has work. So goodbye for the present from yours truly, Polly. 
that situation lasted about three months. Yeah. And then she stopped working for her new employers. <laughs> and when she stopped, she also stole roughly three pounds worth of clothing from them. Uh, once again, by the summer of 1888, Nichols was living in a common lodging house and sharing a bed, not literally a bed, but like a, a room mm -hmm. with an elderly woman named Emily Holland, who just so happened to be the last person who would ever see Marianne Nichols alive. Uh. I think it's interesting that uh, she refers to herself as Polly yeah. as a nickname. Don't know where that comes from. Polly is a diminutive of Mary, if that makes sense. Interesting. Did not know that. That is a uh, very strange etymology there. Yeah. Mary, Polly. I don't really see the connection, but... Nope. Apparently. I think this paints a pretty clear picture of the kind of person that we are dealing with here. The kind of person that was targeted by this guy. Yeah. Right. Vulnerable on their own. She didn't have anyone depending on her. Even mm -hmm. though she had five children, she wasn't really around for them. to kind of isolated. These are the kind of people who like if they disappeared, very few people would notice. Right. Yeah. I mean, not to speculate yeah. on his motives, but it's not like he was murdering someone who's like well off and would have been missed right. or, or the murder would have been so outrageous that they would have really tried hard. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to determine a motive for Jack the Ripper because we don't even know who they are. Yeah. But yeah, it's the fact that he seemingly didn't have sex with any of the women he killed. The fact that they were kind of like drifters really kind of feels like it was all about the kill. killing yeah it's like he used sex in terms with the sex workers at least just to get them somewhere isolated right get them close right. and then struck but yeah that wasn't the point yeah, right and it's not like women in Whitechapel in the 1880s weren't dying frequently like it wasn't yeah uncommon right it's not an easy or safe place to be as a woman especially not as a sex worker so he was choosing right. an easy victim in a lot of ways right and I think really the only reason we draw attention to it and talk about it so much in detail is because it's the first time that like they were like, oh, maybe this is all one person mm -hmm. doing this to like multiple people. Yeah. Well, he's so violent, too. Like, he gets more and more yeah. violent, as we'll see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. His final victim. Yeah. Ugh. It's brutal. So that brings us to 1888, summer of 1888, when the Whitechapel murders begin with, of course, Marianne Nichols. On August 30th, 1888, around 11 p.m., Marianne Nichols was seen walking along Whitechapel Road and then heading into the frying pan public house. There she drank gin until about 12.30 a.m., as Londoners are wont to do. <laughs> uh, roughly 50 minutes later, around 1.20 a.m., she returned to the lodging house she'd been staying at 56 Flower and Dean Street in Whitechapel. Mm. Just a sidebar to say, I love English street names yeah. so much. They're so Flower and Dean Street in Whitechapel. In Whitechapel. There's a Dean Street near me, though. No Flower Street. Yeah. Flower is the kind of good one. Is that a crossroad or is it Flower and Dean Street? Oh, because oh, it's 56 Flower and Dean yeah, Street. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just one street. Yeah. You don't get that in America. Mm, not so much. It's like Hazelwood Avenue. Yeah. Fifth. Boring. When she was there, uh, she was asked to pay her lodging fee, naturally. Mm -hmm. uh, she no longer had it, though, because she spent it on the gin she had just been drinking. Uh. Around 2.30 in the morning, she was seen by Emily Holland, the woman she was sharing a room with. Holland tried to convince Marianne Nichols to come back to the lodging house. Nichols 
was uh, very drunk at this point and told Holland, I've had my lodging money three times today and I've spent it. Hmm. Holland then returned to their living quarters and Nichols went off into the night, presumably in search of a client. Yeah, I think there's some I remember some I wrote the, the article on her like a million years ago. And I remember some she had some interaction with like the guard men or something at the lodging house yeah. and is like, I'm off to get my money and I'll be back soon. I've got a, like a great hat and it shouldn't be a problem. Right. And then she disappears. Also, uh, as a person who's getting older every day, um, <laughs> the time of this is crazy to me. One, drinking until 1230 a.m. in the 1880s. I don't know how late businesses were open, but in downtown Pittsburgh, you'd be hard pressed to find anywhere after midnight. <laughs> I'm, sure there's <laughs> like, I'm sure there's some different. little divey bars in Pittsburgh that are open past midnight. I think I think two o'clock is the latest we go here. Hmm. And there's like an after hours club that stays up until 4 a.m. Yeah. So already we're in foreign territory for me because I'm not I'm not doing anything at 1.20 a.m. right now. Well, you don't I mean, you have to go to work in the morning. It doesn't sound like Marianne Nichols really had anywhere to be. True. Those are her working hours, Those to be her fair. Working hours, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what I was more surprised was that her supposedly elderly bunkmate was up at 2.30 in the morning oh. to see her leaving. Maybe she's also a sex worker. Maybe. I don't know. I don't want to slander Emily Holland, but. Right. Yeah. Any descendants of Emily Holland out there, let us know <laughs> if your great, great, great grandmother was a prostitute. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so roughly an hour after that interaction between Emily Holland and Marianne Nichols. So around 3.30 in the morning, a delivery man by the name of Charles Allen Cross found Nichols' body lying on her back, eyes wide open, legs straight out in front of her, and her skirt hiked up above her knees, um, so sprawled out on her back on the ground. Shortly after that, another cart driver passed by, Robert Paul, found Cross looking at Nichols' body, and they basically realized that her face was still warm, but her hands were cold. Hmm. Cross believed at that point she was dead. Uh, Robert Paul thought maybe she was just unconscious. The two of them together went off to find a policeman, showed him the body, and then they went off to work because they were on their way to work when they found her. Mm, you got to go <laughs> to work. It's not their I job guess. anymore. Yeah. yeah not was... their problem. Yeah. I think that detail is interesting, though. That the face was warm. Hands were cold. Kind of insinuating that maybe this was fresh. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, based on just on the timeline, seems to be the case as well. It was only about an hour. What time did they find her? Do we have that? Like 3.30-ish. Oh, yeah. So it was like right after uh, she... Yeah. Like an hour after. So, Yeah. Hard to, I mean, hard to determine an exact time, but... Uh, but sometime in that hour, like as soon as she left, yeah. she met Jack the Ripper. Yep. She was examined first by police constable Jonas Meisen, who was shortly joined after by constable John Neal, who noted, apparently no one else noticed this. And to be fair, it's the early hours of the morning. It's dark. It's 1880s. It's not like there's like a ton of streetlights. But constable John Neal was the first person to notice that Marianne Nichols' throat had been cut. Mm. Probably she had like probably had a, like a high collar on too. Yeah, like I'd imagine. Fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he finally realized, oh yeah, no, she's dead. Yeah, super dead. That said, he couldn't find any blood trails or wheel marks indicating which direction the killer might have gone. Around 4 a.m., so 30 minutes after the body was found, Doctor Llewellyn arrived and pronounced Nichols dead. Which I not not a surprise. I know is yeah. I was gonna say I know it's protocol, but I think we kind of already knew that. Yes. Uh, and he determined that she had been dead for roughly 30 minutes when she was found based on the warmth of the body. So roughly placing her time of death at 3 a.m. 
So a half an hour after she interacted with Emily Holland. Mm. After that, her body was transferred to the old Montague Street mortuary. Uh, it arrived there just after five in the morning. And Dr. Llewellyn found bruises on either side of her face and realized that her wounds had been inflicted from left to right. One wound measured eight inches in length, the other four inches in length. Maybe a little bit of a content warning here mm. just for extreme violence. I'd skip ahead like 30 seconds if you don't want to hear about it. Dr. Llewellyn also found that her vagina had been stabbed twice, that her abdomen had been mutilated, and uh, found one deep wound in several smaller incisions across, allowing her bowels to protrude. Ugh. So, yeah, as you said, very violent. Very violent. Very gruesome. Interesting that they see they say he didn't have sex with the women, but that he did attack them in like a sexual their way. Genitals. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Llewellyn also determined that each wound had been inflicted with the same knife and that altogether it would have taken roughly four or five minutes to inflict all of the wounds. This was also the first time that anyone noted that maybe the killer had some anatomical knowledge. Mm -hmm. Marianne Nichols was then identified by members of the workhouse, including Emily Holland later that day. And the next day, William Nichols also identified his ex-wife and said, I forgive you as you are for what you have been to me. Hmm. That was gracious of him. Oh, he's. I think he's just putting on a show. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I got to look good in front of these people because I don't want to be blamed for this. Oh, that's true. Or maybe that's just me being a pessimist. No, that makes sense. I mean, Bex husband is usually the first suspect in uh, murders. Yeah. It's interesting to think that like, if no one else had been killed, her death probably would not be. We wouldn't talk about it at all. Yeah. It would have just been another prostitute who was killed in Whitechapel. In Whitechapel in the 1880s. Yeah. yeah. It just so happened. One particularly brutal one. Yeah. But. Yeah. Just like a week later, someone else gets killed. And then they're like, huh. Yeah. Interesting. It probably took at least three people for them to realize like, eh, maybe this is all that. Well, no, I think it was probably the letters as well. But. Yeah. I think it was. A bit of both. It's like they had yeah. one and then the other. I mean, they all happened very close together, every murder. Yeah. Well, I mean, overall, these are all in the span of like two or three months, right? Yeah. The first one, this one's in the end of August. The last one, I think, is at the beginning yeah. of November. So. Yeah. So. They all happen pretty quick. They're all pretty violent. And yeah, I think we'll get into maybe in the last episode a bit more. But like, then you have the newspapers getting the scent. Suddenly you have these letters coming in. Right. It was a great time to be a journalist in London. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. They start getting these letters at the same time and not just letters, but like what seemed to be body parts at one point. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. Kidney attached with the from hell letter or like a part of a kidney. Yeah. So there's like some definitely lots, lots to write about if you're a journalist. And yeah, but it all, it all it does happen very, very quickly. Yeah. Marianne Nichols was uh, 42 years old at the time of her death. I don't think I mentioned her age at any point, but yeah. 
42. And mm. then Annie Chapman's death was just one week later. Yeah. And then three weeks after that was Elizabeth Stride. They're the same day, isn't it? Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Catherine Eddowes and Elizabeth Stride. Their bodies are found like right after the other. And then there's like a month gap and then Mary Jane Kelly. Mm-hmm. And then she's the last yeah. and like most brutal one. Yeah. And that was November 9th. So. Yes. Yeah. Thank you to uh, Jack the Ripper Tour dot com for the mm-hmm. timeline there, there's some good um websites lots of information about these i mean they have you know the coroner's reports and like like horrible details and photographs too of the victims yeah the photo the photograph of mary jane kelly is yeah oof, gnarly brutal it is insane how much of a how many businesses have popped up around jack the ripper oh yeah they do like tours now too and this website alone virtual tour halloween tours pub tours meetups yeah we've talked before about dark tourism yeah right and it can be pretty nasty but yeah there's like i mean to be fair the pub tour would probably be kind of fun (laughs) because you're just going they they go to the white heart pub the 10 bells the king store the bell pub the duke of wellington the princess alice it's all in one tour it's a lot of pubs (laughs) it's all in one tour yeah wow so i mean by the end and you're just learning about jack the ripper and getting drunk Wow. Is that more pubs than victims? Or is that five pubs? Uh, one, two, three, four. There's six pubs. Oh. Well, the sixth one, you have to like sit and kind of like soak it all in and, yeah. you know, yeah. absorb what you just learned. Wow. I mean, it does, it's like, it's so dark, but I would go on that tour. That sounds interesting. I love like, like this one for the Duke of Wellington pub. Hidden from view in the heart of Spitalfields, this little pub is a true local for the community. It's also next door to Jack the Ripper's most gruesome murder. Uh, so book your spot on the tour God. and discover who this was and their connection to the pub. Exclamation point. It's like, it's, I can't imagine anyone going on like a Ted Bundy tour, you know? So yeah, I, I wonder if it's because it was so far in the past. Yeah, right. Because in, if we did like a Ted Bundy tour, it'd be like almost glorifying him. Whereas like Jack the mm. Ripper, maybe the mystery is That's part of why point. it's yeah. it feels less tasteless. Uh huh. Because he's an anonymous. Because yeah, killer. It, we, and... It's not the person, right? And it is so long ago at this point. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The further you get away from these kinds of uh, tragedies, the harder it is to like speak on them very seriously. Mm-hmm. Like even us talking about this, I feel like um, I don't have to watch myself and be as like sensitive as I would be with like. When we talk about like John Jones, who is much more recent, Mm -hmm. because you also have to think that anyone even remotely connected to any of these people isn't really around anymore. Yeah. I mean, still have to like be like, you know, it was like horrible. These women died and died in like horrible ways. Yeah. Not to make light of it. But I yeah, it's it's just one of those things that you, you could talk about american presidents in the past or british royalty from the 1500s with like an air of like detachment to it because it was also long ago it doesn't really feel people from history don't always feel like people they feel more like storybook characters right just from the nature of like the way we engage with their stories that's why i think history is like the most fascinating thing in the world because it it can read like a story, but it was real, you know? Yeah. I went to um, a used bookstore the other day because I was looking for one very specific book and they had one copy of it, but they also had like 15 copies of Devil in the White City. Oh, yeah. Well, it was a high in demand uh, for a little while. Yeah. What book were you looking for? Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susanna Clark. Huh. 
Don't know it. It's like a thousand page epic fantasy set during the Napoleonic Wars about two magicians in England trying to like bring back English magic. That sounds kind of delightful. It's really good. She is one of my favorite writers, and she's only written two novels. What's her name? Susanna Clark. She wrote Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. That released in 2006. And then she didn't publish another book until 2020. Wow. And it was uh, much shorter. It was called Piranesi, and it is the only book I've ever read in 24 hours. Wow. I could not put it down. It is my favorite book. Piranesi. Okay. It's so good. Hmm. Keep an eye out for it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's so much interesting stuff about this story that I think once we get through the talking about the victims and like there was a lot to say about each one. Yeah. Of like, yeah, why this story has such staying power and who who is Jack the Ripper? Yeah, it it is interesting, too, um, as I was doing research for this, like how much information I mean, granted, the story has been combed over so many times with so many different people. I was surprised the amount of information I could find about Marianne Nichols. Yeah. Given that she was a relatively obscure person in her time. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we wouldn't even really know anything about her if not for the fact that she was one of Jack the Ripper's victims. Right. But it is interesting that how much of a chronicle of her life there is, especially uh, when we'll talk about it more when we get to it. Mary Jane Kelly, on the other hand, not a lot of information about her. She was uh, incredibly obscure, had like 10 different names, even her like long term partner barely knew anything about her. And she was the most brutalized victim, but also kind of as messed up as it is to say, kind of the perfect victim for a serial killer. Mm. Because she didn't have any strong roots anywhere. It's almost impossible to track any real information about her down. Yeah. Yeah, it's like he definitely had a a type of person that he could, for whatever reason, tell. Right. Yeah. I, it's so weird kicking this one off because there's not there's not much of a discussion to be had about Marianne Nichols specifically, and we have an entire episode we're dedicating to discussing theories and stuff. Right. So like as as far as like what else do I have to say today? Well, like, I feel like the police probably felt that way in August 1888, where they were like, huh, here's like a dead woman in Whitechapel. Not much to discuss here. What a tragedy. And then a week later, yeah. someone else turns up dead in a sort of a similar fashion. And then it's like, right. huh, that's weird. Maybe yeah. we should discuss this of, further. It's like, yeah, almost the way that we are telling the story is the same way that police would have investigated it, in, at least as, in terms of like a narrative arc. Yeah, right. The more and more women there are the more there is to talk about in terms of like what similarities there were what differences da, 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 da. and we'll get right. into that i think more and more with each with each victim yeah for sure yeah yeah that's marianne nichols story so the next one then yeah is annie chapman who was killed on september 8th so yeah just about yeah. a week later definite similarities between the two and i think annie chapman's death is kind of what started the heightened interest in these murders yeah but that's till next time yeah so stay tuned and we'll dive more into that and the other victims as well yeah we have covered all of these stories on the site all the victims as well as um, tons of stuff about jack the ripper i updated our post on seven potential suspects yes there's so many more than seven out there 
Yeah, I narr- yeah, I narrowed it down to seven. I was putting together the outline for the sixth episode, and it was like, who to include? Because there's like so many. And some of them, is, they don't have very good, like, the police were like, maybe it's this guy, but there's not like a lot of reasoning for why. And in other words, they're like, for all these reasons, which sometimes seem pretty convincing. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, you mentioned like Lewis Carroll. His name was thrown out. Not maybe not in earnest, but yeah, he's not like a very serious suspect, but he's like someone whose name has like been on lists before of like, what if yeah. he did this? Or we talked about it before. Some people suggested it might have just been H.H. Holmes. Right. Popping over. Which doesn't uh, from the yeah, States. doesn't really make sense, but it's just crazy how like <laughs> I feel like despite uh, over 100 years of people like combing over every piece of information related to this we're still just like i mean some people like we'll get into this in the sixth episode but there is like dna evidence that is like very it's not like a hundred percent like certainty or anything but there is dna evidence out there that's a slam dunk it's my sports (laughs) i was like what's that (laughs) word a slam it's not a slam dunk by any means but um it's like there is dna evidence that like some people are like this is a connection to this guy and then other people are like wait a minute for x y and z Mm. reasons like don't jump to that conclusion quite yet right but yeah dna does kind of change i mean it has the potential to change the game a little bit but i will get into all that stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks throughout this series on Jack the Ripper. And yeah, in the meantime, you can always check out stuff on the site, which is about Jack the Ripper, other killers, other interesting stuff, um, history and beyond. All these stories and more. And can more. Be found yeah. On all that's interesting.com. What do we write about on all that's interesting.com? Everything that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Specifically, history, science, true crime, weird news, deep dives into people, places, folklore, artifacts, coins. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's all there. It's all there. And of course, you can join our newsletter by going to allthisinteresting.com slash sign up or becoming a member at allthisinteresting.com slash membership. Yeah. And you can write into the show here um, if you have any notes for us or ideas or things you want us to talk about uh send an email to podcast at all that's interesting.com or you can you can give us a call at a number yes at a number and we we received a call should i say the number or do you want to i'll say the number you can can say the number yeah give us a call the number which is 929-526-3029 as someone did do oh that's it okay (laughs) (laughs) we finally got one one. and we're gonna talk about it but um yeah. During History Happy Hour, we decided, yes, so that's coming up. So yeah, coming down the pike next is, uh, yes, episode two of the series on Annie Chapman. But yeah, stay tuned. Uh, rate the show, whatever you think it deserves. Uh-huh. Leave comments, but only nice ones. Only nice ratings, too, um, I hope. And send me pictures of your dogs on social media, because I want to see pictures of dogs. That's everyone's homework <laughs> who's listening to this. <laughs> We just talked about some, we're going to be continuing to talk about some pretty gruesome murders. So if you've got a cute dog, take a picture of it and send it in. Yeah, dog pictures are always welcome. Yeah, it's like eye bleach. <laughs> the opposite of eye bleach, right? Yeah. Well, it's bleach bleach for your mind to clean it because of all the gruesome murder stuff. Like sage for your mind, maybe. Sage for your mind. I yeah. like that better. All right. Till next time. Ta-ta for now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.